excuse me. <coughs> Hebrews 10, verses 1 to 14. The Lord is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, they would not have stopped being offered, for the worshippers would have been cleansed once and for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. First he said, Sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, Here I am. I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Well, why do you come to church? And when you get here, what are you doing? Well, I met a man not long ago who told me he goes to church to worship. Uh, He told me that at his church uh, they have a worship time, uh, they sing several songs, there's uh, the band with the music and the uh, singers, one of whom's the worship leader who leads in that time. And as I listened, I thought to myself, that's very different to what I was used to. Uh, Over the years, Uh, I've sat in church services and I've heard things like, thank you for worshipping with us today, Uh, or we meet this morning to worship the Lord, or let's stand and worship God as we sing. And in our denomination, there is a uh, call to worship uh, as we commence our services. Uh, Worship is one of those Christian words that we often, well occasionally I guess, drop into our conversations like fellowship or born again or spirit filled. Uh, The word appears in uh, Christian CDs like uh, the worship box hymns, 50 uh, 50 songs or the the best worship songs ever or more best worship songs ever or Shout to the Lord, the album that changed the way we worship or this one, Come Now is the Time to Worship Cross Karaoke. Now, a lot has been written over the years about worship and uh, one little book I found really helpful preparing for this new sermon series this morning is by Vaughan Roberts. It's a book called True Worship and some of the chapter headings I've used for this series and uh, the aim really is to 
uh, spend time seeing what the Bible has to say about worship, this topical series looking at the biblical theme in various ways. What does God's word say to us about worship? And uh, there's a handout available laying out the, uh, the preaching plan and a prayer there at the uh, bottom of that there for each of the series. And I encourage you to use that prayer regularly over the coming weeks. Each week our aim is to put out a Bible study and we've been doing that uh, in recent times. So the passage um, will be looked at that we can look at on the coming Sunday. We'll have a, a Bible study uh, that is a way of sort of preparing us all as we come here together on Sunday morning. And so I encourage you to um, look at those and uh, have a look at the text before we come and certainly our connect groups uh, have been doing that a little bit as well. What happens in churches uh, what determines acceptable worship? And uh, by tradition, uh, there's been two principles that have been sort of, uh, that underpin that. The first is called what they call a regulative principle. And uh, that is that God's word regulates all that happens in the church services. So God's word should regulate all that we do as Christians. But God's word doesn't tell me whether it should, whether I should or should not have a chicken coop at the backyard or um, whether I should go and get into stamp collecting or something like that. The church reformers, John Calvin and the 17th century Puritans, argued that when it came to how God ought to be worshipped in church, there are some specific requirements and uh, we aren't simply to add to these or ignore them. And this is what John Calvin says, God disapproves of all modes of worship not expressly sanctioned by his word. And then uh, the second London Baptism, Baptist Convent, uh, Confession, there's another sort of statement there, uh, made by uh, the Reformed Baptists at the time, and this is what they said. The acceptable way of worshipping the true God is instituted by himself and so limited by his own revealed will that he may not be worshipped according to the imaginations and devices of men or any other way not prescribed in the Holy Scriptures. So pretty uh, clear statements there about the regulative principle. And just to sort of look at a few verses in the Bible very quickly, you remember in Genesis chapter 4, there's Cain trying to do some sort of form of worship, and we know what happened there. Uh, his heart was not made in the right... It wasn't made, he wasn't right with God and as he was making that offering. Uh, then in Exodus 20, the uh, Ten Commandments, uh, God makes it very clear about how he should be worshipped. Uh, we all know about the golden calf, don't we, in Exodus 32, uh, showing us that worship can't be made by our own values and the things that we might particularly prefer. Or spare a thought for Nadab and Abihu, the, the sons of Aaron in Leviticus 10. There they are offering strange fire doing what they thought was acceptable worship before the Lord and being incinerated by the fire of the Lord. And in Hebrews 12, the writer there in verse 28 maybe had that incident in mind when he writes, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. Why? For our God is a consuming fire. <laughs> there it is. So the other principle that can... that uh, has been traditionally thought of as, as worship is called what is known as the normative principle, which says what scripture doesn't forbid may be included. Okay, so PowerPoints. 
in church. Uh, announcements. Uh, church services longer than an hour. Uh, musical instruments uh, to help us sing. Uh, we, there's no mention of musical instruments in the New Testament. And I know of denominations that won't have them. Are we still worshipping God when these things are still happening? True worship matters. It matters to God and it's good for us. We were created by God to worship him. We glorify him when we worship him truly. He knew how his people in Isaiah 1 offered their worship through their sacrifices, how they were spreading out their hands to him in prayer, but he wouldn't listen, wouldn't accept their worship. And why was that? Well, this is, this is what he says. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are, like, they are red as cr like crimson, they shall become like wool. What is he saying? Their, their worship was in vain. Their, their offerings and the sacrifices uh, he saw as being detestable, like a sort of a ritual that they were going through, because they would go back to their lives, oppressing others, doing evil, allowing justice to remain. It, it wasn't true worship. They, they worship with their lips, appear to keep up with the ceremonies, but their, their hearts were far from the Lord. So how can we be sure we are offering God acceptable worship? Is this, is this why we, we go to church? To bring God acceptable worship, heartfelt worship. Now, you know, English New Testaments, there are four words in the original language that are translated worship. Four words are these, to prostrate, to serve, to respect, and to obey. To prostrate yourself is to fall down before a superior. Like the, what the Magi do, right? They fall down before baby Jesus in Matthew 2. Or what the disciples do when they meet the risen Jesus in Matthew 28. They clasp his feet and worship him. It's the word Jesus uses in John 4 when he says that the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Or in Revelation 4 with worship taking place, falling down before the throne. So it's the giving of undivided allegiance. It's the bowing down to prostrate oneself, reflecting that attitude of a life of submission to him. But see, how many times does this word for worship get used when Christians meet together for church? Once. It's in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 25, where Paul describes what unbelievers do when they're present in the congregation and are convicted by the words of God being spoken. And what happens? That they fall down saying, God is really among you. This word translated worship isn't used in the New Testament to describe 
what Christians do when they meet together. So there's another word in our English Bibles is worship, uh, which, uh, we, which we come to translate as to serve. So in Hebrews 1 and Hebrews 8, the Jewish priests and the angels are there described as serving and worshipping God. The word is also used in Romans 13 to describe what the secular rulers are doing as they govern. Romans 15, Paul describes the work of reaching people as service to Christ. How many times does the word get used in connection when Christians meet together for church? Once. Acts 13 verse 2 where it is probably used as a reference to prayer. The third word we have for worship comes from the word to respect, the reverence people give to God. The word is used several times in the book of Acts, but never is it used to describe what Christians do when they meet together. And the fourth word we have for worship comes from the word to obey, used to describe the adoration that God offered to God in heaven, so Revelation 7. Well, Paul describes the missionary work he's doing as worship in Acts 24. And in 2 Timothy 1 and Hebrews 9, the word is used to describe Christians serving God in their whole of their life. Well, Paul uses it again in Romans 12, verse 1, speaking about offering our bodies to God as being our spiritual act of worship. It seems the New Testament never limits worship to something that we do when we meet for church. Nor does the New Testament say that our gathering for church has the purpose to worship God. This is where we might get a little bit confused. That the prime focus or direction for us gathering together isn't from us to God to give him our worship. The direction is from God to us. And that's because Jesus has come and has put an end to religion. He put an end to the Old Testament way of doing things. So as we think about offering to God our worship, we need to realise the Old Testament model of the temple, priest and sacrifice is the old model. Before Jesus came, worship centred in the temple in Jerusalem with the most high part being at the very heart of it. To come near to God, you couldn't just simply stroll up into his presence. A person approached God through the priests. Some years ago, I had, I had the great privilege of sitting in the members' stand at the SCG. And uh, why was I allowed to sit there? I watched the cricket, a test match. It wasn't because, it was simply because the bloke I was with was already a member and he had received a... Um, a guest allocation through a ballot system. The security guards barred the way at the entrance to the member's gate. But my friend handed me the guest ticket and with him, in seconds, I went straight into that privileged area of the ground. Now this is what the role of the priest in the Old Testament 
were doing. God's holiness and people's sinfulness barred the way into God's presence. You could only approach God through another. And what did the priests first have to do? Offer sacrifices, what God established. Animals were sacrificed to achieve at one that is, atonement between a holy God and sinful people. And this pointed to something far better to come. But it was God's provision to enable the worshipper to come to God at the temple through the priest by the sacrifice. What was the direction of that? It was people giving something to God, giving their sacrifices. But that's not the direction now. That's not the model for our gathering together as God's people. It was only meant to be a shadow, a copy, a model of the real thing for Jesus brought that whole system to an end. He fulfilled it as the perfect priest, the perfect sacrifice, and gave his people perfect access to God. Why is he our perfect priest? Well, unlike the Old Testament priest, Jesus lives forever. He always lives to be our our mediator to God. Unlike those Old Testament priests, he is, as Hebrews 7 says, holy, blameless, pure, set apart for sinners, exalted above the heavens. He doesn't need to offer sacrifices day after day for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. And unlike the Old Testament priest who ministered in the earthly temple, Jesus ministers in heaven. But he's not just our perfect priest, he's our perfect sacrifice. Unlike those animal sacrifices offered again and again, they could never make perfect those who draw near to worship. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away our sin. And under that old system, the priests remained standing day after day, performing their priestly duties, offering that same sacrifice of sins that could never take away sins. But Jesus, we're told in Hebrews 10 verse 12, offered for all time, One, sacrifice for sin, and then sat down at the right hand of God. Our perfect priest is our perfect sacrifice for sin, a perfect substitute, a perfect representation for us. Once a year, that was all, the high priest entered the most holy place, And it told the people, go no further. It was as though there was a massive no entry sign hanging there. But through our perfect priest, through that his perfect sacrifice, we have perfect access. Perfect access. We have a perfect priest has has taken the blood of his perfect sacrifice to us into the very presence of God the Father in heaven. And it's as though he just tossed that no entry sign away. And the curtain was torn in two from top to bottom and the door wide open to God. 
And so then, what then? What, what do we do? You draw near to God through Christ who is our, with confidence. Brothers and sisters, do you see what this means for our worship? The Old Testament worship did take place by that system. God gave of the temple, the priests, the sacrifices, when God's people gathered on earth, but it was fulfilled by the perfect worship of Jesus. What this means is the focus of worship isn't something we try to do to come into the presence of God. Our focus is on Christ's perfect worship and where he is in heaven. And so true worship and the end of religion means we have no more holy places. There is no longer any need to go to some special place to meet with God. Our buildings are rain shelters. Windbreaks, sun deflectors. God doesn't live in them. But there is a special place, a perfect place, where our focus should be, in heaven, where Jesus is. It means there are no more priests. Only our perfect priest, Jesus, who is before God. He has made us a royal priesthood, called to represent our merciful God before this unbelieving world. And true worship and the end of religion means there are no more atoning sacrifices. When we meet together, we don't have to offer anything to God to improve things with him. When we have the Lord's Supper, we don't have priests re-offering the sacrifice of Christ. We don't have altars. Nor do we achieve access to God through the music we sing. I read last week about a Christian band who sang songs that lift up the name of Jesus combined with music that moves the body, provide an avenue for the listener to enter into the presence of God. Some people feel that they do not really meet with God if there isn't some sort of extended time of singing in church. Song leaders are called worship leaders. They kind of exercise an almost priestly function to lift us up to the presence of God. The Bible never teaches that it is the role of music to lead his people closer to God. Whether it's the praises we sing or the Lord's Supper we share in, they don't bring us to God. We depend on the worship of another entirely. 
We don't go through the Lord's Supper as if it was sacrificing Christ again and again. We don't have to sing for half an hour to draw close to God. We don't need another human priest. We don't need to sanctify a place holy so that we can do church there and meet with God. We are already close to God if we are trusting in Christ. We have already come to the heavenly Jerusalem. Hebrews 12, 22 says, But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. And we depend entirely on the worship of another, our Lord Jesus, who put an end to religion. And this is why the New Testament doesn't teach that when we meet together, we offer worship to God. We draw near with gratitude, joy and trust to our worship leader, to our priest, our saviour in heaven, through whom we have gained access to the most holy place by his word and through his spirit he meets us and he welcomes us let us pray father in heaven we um, have been thinking this morning what it means to worship you aright truly we ask that you would help us to understand the weight of your word to us to understand lord that uh, indeed all of life is to worship you and thank you father as we've been thinking this morning that we have this wonderful access through the perfect priest perfect sacrifice the perfect worship of jesus so we draw near to him we draw near in faith and trust in him with joy and gratitude and gratefulness. And as we do so, Father, may it please you. And you may be pleased with us by his merits alone. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.